Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We've uh, we've had one vodka each. Mm-hmm. I want to state that for the record <laughs> beforehand because we're not used to drinking uh, alcohol as much. But uh, lockdown is as lockdown is, and so this <laughs> might hit us a little more than we thought it would. We are not technically locked down. We're just staying at home. I know it. The the catch. I didn't want to say quarantine because we're not in quarantine. No. Nor are we in self isolation. Self isolation is when you go away from everybody you live with and we're not doing that no so isolation is when you think you have the symptoms uh and you're locking your and you're taking precautions and isolating quarantine is you have the symptoms and you are quarantined so lockdown lockdown i mean doctor who lockdown is the official unofficial twitter and and youtube account of the various um live tweet-a-thons tweet-alongs going on right now so I haven't I haven't watched any of those. Nor have I. No. Uh, until they do Colony in Space, uh-huh. maybe then we'll do that. But uh, if we did that, we'd uh, have to watch the first two episodes again because we just watched episode two of Serial HHH. Um, HHH. As some people in the UK would say. Uh, are you are you still enthused with this one? I really am. Although I do have a small complaint. Uh, clearly, anybody who has seen this story and was listening to me on episode one was thinking she does not understand this at all. Um, I feel like episode one did not do a great job of showing that all of the colonists knew about the the quote unquote primitives, the indigenous population. Mm-hmm. To me, it really very much read like Ash knew about them and had kept it a secret from everybody else. Like ah. that's the way that it, the way that it was portrayed made me think, you know, cause he talked about how he was there before the rest of the colonists and, and how he had, you know, checked things out to make sure it was okay for the rest of the colonists to come. So I really thought that when the, that indigenous person showed up that, that was a secret that Ash had been keeping from all of his people. And that's, <laughs> ah, so that's what I was, okay. that's what I was saying on our previous episode. And now that I have seen episode two, obviously, no, everybody, everybody knows who they are. Um, and like, one of them is, is best buds with a, with, with their electrician. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I recognize that I was incorrect, but I'm going to lay some of that at the foot of the writing slash directing of episode one, which I still loved. But right. that was a little unclear. Maybe they should have. Uh, you're right. Maybe had one of the primitive, as they call them. In the, yeah. It's a very yeah, outdated term. Uh, in the you know in the in the colony in episode one or something, just in the background, perhaps. Because yeah, when he does come on in a, in that scene, it's like oh wow, I guess they're just hanging around. Mm-hmm. But I guess they're well no because they are. He is hanging around with him because he's there helping Jim fix the thing. So clearly there are these uh, indigenous population within the colony helping out. Yep. Certainly at least one. And, you know, that other one totally, that guy felt comfortable coming in and, you know, hanging out and at, mm-hmm. waiting for food. So That's true. Yeah. He was there to collect perhaps yep. on behalf of the um, his people. Yep. Totally. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't uh, diminished your enthusiasm for the story. No, I mean the plot just totally thickened. Uh, I was absolutely not expecting a mining corporation to pop in. Although I will say that as soon as I saw that robot thing, IMC, I was like, I bet that's some sort of mining corporation, <laughs> and it totally was. I mean, it, like I had like you know a minute and a half to be you know think about that and then mm-hmm. feel smug, but uh, but yeah. So I'm feeling a little bit even better about the fact that this is a six part episode because there was an entire wrinkle in this in the whole thing that didn't even appear at all until episode two. Right. Yes, uh, and it features um, Captain Dent, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. in as the leader of this uh, IMC mm-hmm. troop. Uh, a couple episodes ago, when you were complaining about Bill Filer's hair, I thought mm-hmm. just you wait until you see uh-huh. the next story, and then he came on Captain Dent with his what I thought ridiculous hairdo. A lot of people think it's a ridiculous hairdo, but you were like, yeah, whatever. It just looks like a guy from the seventies with you know, like yeah. it's like a it's like a modified bowl cut. I don't think it looks that weird. I mean it's car it's it's uh it's combed sort of down into like a bit of a peak in the middle of his forehead, but that you know, it's a little bit different, but I mean comp- Bill Filer looks terrible. <laughs> Bill Filer looks like he's been sleeping on his <clears throat> ex girlfriend's couch for right. the last two months and hasn't taken a shower in all that time, nor has he gotten a haircut, and it's just messy and just disgusting. This guy just looks like he I don't know, just looked like seventies hair to me. Say what you will about Bill Filer, but Bill Filer cares about cleanliness. So take back that comment about having shower for two months. Okay, well maybe whatever product he uses in his hair makes it look greasy. I don't know, but it didn't look <laughs> clean to me. That was definitely 1971 hair or 1980, depending on when <laughs> the Clause of Access is actually set. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't even blink at his hair. I didn't think it was weird looking at all. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. All that build up. I'm glad, well, I'm glad you more or less forgot about it, but uh, th- this is a Malcolm Hulk script and what I love about Malcolm Hulk scripts as you've probably noticed in the past, well, not so much because he's barely written so far, but Doctor Who and the Silurians, for instance, is that uh, there's no good guys being one group and one bad guys here. You can tell that um, Caldwell is very much conflicted with what IMC is doing, and he seems very um, disgusted and shocked that uh, a couple of colonists have been killed. Um, what you, what do you think about all that? That was interesting. Like he's having a crisis of conscience because um, mm-hmm. I mean he works for this company. He's clearly worked for this company for a while, yeah. and they have done some real shady stuff on other planets to chase off colonists who rightfully belonged in all of those places. Mm-hmm. So he's been doing some awful stuff. But apparently, this is the line for him is yeah. is murder, which is you know in this day and age, it's kind of refreshing. Like I feel like we have. Uh, looked at the world and seen a lot of like you know the, the the slow creep of fascism is like little tiny increment by little tiny increment and you kind of lose you know if if you were able to go back and interview yourself from like two or three years ago you'd be like I would never sit by and not be protesting in the streets if x y z happened and like all of that stuff has has happened and we've just sort of let it go by whereas we have Caldwell here who's a person who finally like he gets to a point where he's like nope that's too much for me and I feel like a lot of a lot of people uh haven't really reached that point yet like in on the greater world stage mm-hmm. sort of thing so it's uh, it is interesting to see that he's he's embedded with this this corporation that is clearly doing horrible awful things and is conflicted about it so yeah it's interesting yeah and it's a good performance bernard mm-hmm. k and i think his final doctor who performance he was in uh Dalek's master plan no uh Dalek's Major Verse. Um, playing one of the rebels who sort of rescues Susan. He was also in Brownface playing uh, Saladin in the Crusade, but giving it a very respectful portrayal of him. And then... uh, and then there's this. I think I might be forgetting one in there, but yeah, he's a, he's a very good actor, and it, it, just the just you know the, the look on his face when the doctor says that two, uh, two colonists were killed, I just thought was just really really well played. He tries to sort of keep his you know his cool and stuff like that, and then just sort of moves on. But I thought it was a very very good performance from Bernard Kane. We'll see more of him. Yeah, I I totally agree. 
Um, he he sells it like he definitely seems like, <laughs> you know, at first he's he's pretty upset about it. And then he sort of swings back and is like, oh, no, actually, like he seems pretty jaunty in the yeah. next scene where he's recognizing just how much of the uh, the mineral they're able to to get from this planet but then he swings back in the other direction when he mm-hmm. realizes that yet another person is going to die and this time it's somebody that he has you know that he kind of knows he hung out with a doctor long enough to yeah. you know they were a few kilometers away and had to drive <laughs> together on that cute little machine um road so, trip yeah exactly they've, they had a little buddy movie yeah. uh, in the intervening time and now he's about to go and uh and get murdered by morgan who is just a shifty fellow he is indeed. You know, Morgan was originally Michael E. Bryant, or Michael Bryant, as he's mm-hmm. credited here, uh, cast that role as a woman. Ooh. And because they thought, why not? Let's change it up a little mm-hmm. bit. But it was the BBC who saw this and thought, wouldn't it be a little bit S&M if we had this woman wearing like uh, black boots and like sort of being like, you know, the type of character that Morgan is. And so uh, at the very last minute, um, Tony Conter was cast as uh, as Morgan instead. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what happened to the actress where she was shifted to another role. I can't remember the story behind that. But uh, but yeah, at least she was paid out, I believe, yeah. for that. But still, the BBC over overrode the director. That's a that's a shame. Good good on Michael Michael Bryant for for trying. Mm-hmm. Boo to the BBC for overriding that. And then, but uh, you know, the guy who's playing Morgan is actually he's doing a very good job. But that's still that's still that's a shame. It is a shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my, that I think was my. Oh no, Michael Bryant also I think appears uh, as a voiceover in one of those little um, uh, educational films that's in the entertainment room that the doctor finds himself locked in. I think that's his uh, his voice doing the voice because he is a, a former actor, uh, child actor. So he was a natural fit for him. <laughs> I like that the doctor has the same uh, opinion of war movies that I do. Right. <laughs> Not a fan. I'd rather rather watch an, an educational documentary than uh, whatever that was. Well, I think it was an actual documentary. Um, I'm gonna. I'm not going to allude a to a future episode of. Do- I'm going to allude to a future episode <laughs> of Doctor, but not explain what it is. But something similar happens in a future episode written by Malcolm Hulk, which is intriguing to me. The fact that there's a parallel there. Mm-hmm. So it, it probably wasn't a an actual mil- uh, movie, but mm-hmm. probably like a documentary movie about war, war uh, what Earth is like, perhaps, and mm-hmm. whatever time period this is. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever it was, it was a bunch of you know violence and stuff, which. Mm-hmm. I don't dig, and the doctor didn't want to see that either. No, it was actual Vietnam War footage, from what I could tell. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Not 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 fun. No. Not fun. Not fun at all. Uh, what else about this episode? I mean, just the fact that if if it was Vietnam War footage, just the idea of like the colon the colonization aspect of this, mm-hmm. and you know the <coughs> U.S. going into a foreign country and trying like it, that, it just adds another interesting little like layer there. So, so mm-hmm. Vietnam War, which is contemporary at the time. Oh, yeah. I suppose it would have been. It's fascinating to think about mm-hmm. that because it's, Vietnam War is always a thing that was in the past and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you watch the Wonder Years and that was set during it. And But mm-hmm. uh, no, it was actually happening at this time. Wow. I know. Isn't history a funny thing? <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. Well, I mean, history often um, defines what Doctor Who talks about during a certain point in its history from whenever it's made so um what else about this oh you you said you recognize that poor old uh, uh technician jim who had two scenes and then was killed uh by norton mm-hmm. the interloper mm-hmm. yeah i 
I mean, I don't know if I really recognized him or if he just sort of seemed familiar or if it's sort of like the way that he spoke, his cadence has reminded me of somebody else, but but I liked him and it was really sad that he died right away. I know, like right away. I just sent this kindly old man. He played a technician as well in an episode of the Daleks Master Plan, episode five, I think he was in. And he's basically in that episode uh, standing up and repairing a console that's about at the exact same position in the set in Dalek's matchup line. <laughs> so five years in between appearances and he's like, so what do you, oh, you want me to stand in this part of the set and pretend to repair a console? Okay, I'll do that. Thanks. Well, he was very, very good at it. He was very good. Uh, yes, and then there's the the uh, the Jim will fix it um, joke, which is not aged well. No. Uh, but at the time, the Jim will fix it show was a very popular fixture on the BBC, and so when Mary makes it, it's funny that she makes a Jim will fix it. You know, it's very it's a contemporary joke that she should have no business knowing about in the year 2471. Well, I don't think that the character was making any kind of a joke. No. I think the character was just saying you know as had been already stated Jim has been keeping this thing running for way longer than it should have actually been going so her saying that he's going to fix it uh, makes perfect sense uh, sure we'll use that head- I, I thought no it was the way she says it it's definitely a uh, Jim will fix it I think it's a very anachronistic I mean, okay. uh, uh, um, in joke is what I mean to say that the character seems to know about then I totally disagree. Oh. I did not feel to me at all like, okay, maybe the, obviously the actor, knew, right. like she knew, but I did not get the impression at all that the character was trying to make a Jim will fix it joke. The show certainly is. Yeah. Yes. No, no question about that. But to me, like it didn't seem like she was saying it with like any over the top cadence or anything really? like that. Yeah. I really didn't I, think that. I thought that she and Joe shared a little bit of a laugh about it. Oh, sorry. Jim will fix it. Uh, I mean, if if Joe shared any bit of a laugh, then that was a failure on Kenny Manning's part, frankly. <laughs> well, it was 1971. Um, anything else uh, that's offensive in 1971? No, no, no. I don't mean because <laughs> no, no, no. I I don't mean because because of if you're not familiar with the the yeah, Jim will fix it thing, just Google it if you want to know. But yeah. you probably don't want to know. No. no, I'm just saying that like that. Yeah, there is no way that either one of like. Yeah, that this character would not know anything about mm-hmm. Jim will fix it. So no. if Katie Manning is making a like, haha, we're in this together, making a joke together, that's a poor performance choice uh-huh. on her part because the other the character was Mary Ash. Yes. Yes. Uh, Mary wouldn't know anything about that. So. Whereas Joe, I guess, maybe would because we're close enough to that time. Yeah, it's for the benefit of Joe and the audience. And so Mary shouldn't know about it, but appears to. So, yeah, it's it's one of those. No, you. I really just don't think she appears to. Mm -hmm. I think she just says, don't worry, Jim will fix it. Because she's a a bright young girl who is enthusiastic about everything. Like, look at every single scene (laughs) she has been in. She has, like, that's just the way she talks, dude. And she's just unaware that she's also uh, referencing Mm -hmm. a television show from 500 years in her past featuring a now disgraced children's television performer. Yeah, that is that is absolutely the way I read that scene. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Um, so the doctor beats up a bunch of primitives. Mm-hmm. I can't tell if when he and Dent are talking about uh, like, oh, um, animals. Uh, well, that's right. We can kill the animals to get to remove them from the planet. And I couldn't tell. Is he talking about animals? No, no. Because 
in episode one, Mary asked, so there's not that many animals. There's no animals here, just a few birds and insects, which you know, affect our animals, Mary. Uh, um, was he talking about the primitives as animals? I don't think so. I think he was, because the way that, that he delivers that line, it's clear that he doesn't actually believe that there are any giant lizards. So I think that he was, he ah. was, he was saying, you know, these animals, if they exist, could be could be destroyed okay, so cool. like at that point in the story already the doctor has has sussed this and has yeah. figured out that you know i mean he knew from in the previous episode he was like if, if you really had a 20 foot lizard or 20 mm. meter or whatever it was how would it have gotten through that doorway yeah. right there so the doctor immediately knew that something was going on like he was way smarter i mean I, I was going to say way smarter than I am. Like I had a feeling that something was going on, but I think he was several steps, several steps beyond where I was. Right. Um, and yeah, so obviously at this point it's clear that it's the mining company using Charlie, mm-hmm. the, uh, poor poor murderous robot is just being forced like charlie doesn't want to do this he's just following his programming so sad i know poor charlie don't you like how the cliffhanger for episode one was the doctor being menaced by a robot inside the hut and then the cliffhanger for episode two is the doctor being menaced by a robot inside the hut by the same robot inside the same hut (laughs) same robot i i as it was getting there i'm thinking is this the end it is the end that's right they do the exact (laughs) same cliffhanger for two episodes in a row i i really like that though the fact that you can have the exact same cliffhanger with two completely different connotations the first one is like the fear is the fear of the unknown like suddenly there's a robot we have no idea where it came from why it's here and it's it's attacking the doctor now it's the same robot attacking the doctor, but we know why it's doing it, which mm-hmm. adds this another, like, it's another entire layer to it. I think that's a really effective and cool use of, of two back-to-back cliffhangers. I think that's great. Well done. I'm throwing up these little things here that you, sh- you know, other people might say, oh, you're right, Colony in Space is terrible, but you're, like, just taking no. them in. <laughs> you're taking them in. You enjoy the story. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really good. And I... I'm pleased to say that I figured out pretty early in the episode that Norton was uh, was clearly a plant from yeah. the mining corporation. I figured it out even before he turned against them because as soon I can't remember exactly which line it was, but but basically when they're on the uh, the spaceship, spaceship one five seven, crash zoom, crash zoom. My, Michael Bryant loves a good crash zoom. Yep, one five seven on this rocket ship, and they're talking about how they have. Uh, scared um colonists away on other planets before i was like immediately and i think it was the moment that i realized that they had been impersonating giant lizards Mm -hmm. right that was that was the moment where i realized okay that means that norton has to be a faker because he claims that his colonist like his colony that there was somehow another colony on the planet which nobody else knew about and that they had also been killed by giant lizards which we now know don't actually exist um and that he's talking about the the primitives the indigenous people in his area were so much worse um whereas they're not here although apparently they were at first because they were trying to defend their territory no duh of course they were um and uh and yeah so even you're right like there are many shades of gray in this because you have the mining corporation which not every person is super super evil and then you have the settlers who are settlers you know they're colonists mm-hmm. and they're not entirely blaming us either because they're putting up a colony on a planet that's already it's already inhabited and yeah so there's there's a lot going on here 
There is. And this is, you know, in the days when Britain was losing its empire as well, you know, like uh, just 11 years in the past, they lost a bunch of uh, former colonies in Africa. So like that was just the way of things. Britain went around and made colonies and stuff. And that was just like the accepted way of life. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's another uh, historical sort of lens that you have to view these things through Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's fascinating and just a lot of really good performances too i i like it and the and the doctor i i feel like this story is a perfect use for me Uh of john pertwee's doctor's style i think uh, especially when he gets taken to the other um the, the the other spaceship the imc ship yes the imc ship and he is just he is not having any of it. He is touchy, mm-hmm. but he's got a great reason to be. This is not like him sitting around with the brigadier and Joe and, you know, being touchy at them and being annoying about it. This is like he's he's like he's got a good a good outlet for it mm-hmm. that actually makes me feel good about the way that he's acting, which is nice. Good. I, I like I mean, apart from uh, his haircut, I really like um, I think Morris Perry's the name of the actor is Dent. It's one of my favorite uh, uh, villain performances in Doctor Who. We'll get to see more of him in the episodes to come as well. Yeah, and he's you know he's not like a mustache twirly villain. Nope. He is a guy who is very good at his job, mm-hmm. and he is doing it to the best of his ability, and is just comfortable with the choices that he has made in his life, and is probably like a lot of people who are in charge of a lot of things right now. That's true, and he's you know he's not like holding. Uh, uh, Caldwell hostage like do this or die like he's saying you're in debt I've checked like you know if you if you get fired here you are going to be broke and I know it so this is why you have to stay uh, and do what I tell you because you know he's not really threatening him it just it's it's just a very cool and calculating and greedy way that uh, you know card carrying communist Malcolm Hulk certainly is exploiting because uh, you can kind of tell that this is his first truly sort of political script I think when he writes mm-hmm. yeah and and Dent is using the tools that he has to hand like mm-hmm. you know the, the blackmail knowledge about uh, Caldwell's debt and Morgan himself is a tool and it's really interesting and I don't know what more we will get to see of him as we go on but just watching at this point I'm really interested to see like how far is he willing to take it would he actually get his hands dirty if he was the one that was you know if he's forced to shoot somebody himself or beat somebody up himself is that you know like like where does he draw his line we've seen where Caldwell sort of tries to draw his line does Dent have a line you know or or would he just be bloodthirsty and go for it if he needed to obviously he's not as excited about that mm-hmm. as as Morgan certainly seems to be but uh but yeah he seemed this is a this is a really good story like it's got me wondering about all of the different characters and the way that they react things oh and speaking of different characters and reacting differently we've got the um the guy who's arguing with Ash and Winton Winton um and how he was you know he he's making his own choices and his own decisions about things and he thinks that they should leave and he doesn't really want to follow Ash anymore but he's not quite he hasn't reached his line yet where nope. he's going to going to try to turn things turn things over um so yeah these are really well built out characters for only having two short episodes of a story so far right mm-hmm. and you don't need like echo, you know pages of exposition either you just sort of see how they react in situations and that's how their characters are drawn Malcolm Hulk is a really good writer. And this is really well directed, too. And acted. This is just a great story, people. Why haven't you told me about this before? (laughs) Because we wanted you to experience it completely cold. (laughs) 
That's what that was our whole reasoning, all of Doctor Who fandom. Well, okay, in that case, thanks, Doctor Who fandom. You're the best. Gotcha. Uh, all right. Um, any anything else for episode two? I mean, if I thought long enough, I could probably come up with something else because I really, I really liked it. But, uh, but no, I think I'm good for now. Good. There's four episodes to come, which you'll be hearing about on Lazy Doctor Who. On the Incomparable Network, and I know, actually, just uh, <laughs> jump in here to say, this was originally going to be like the the big membership membership push uh, in April, but um, the Incomparable has just decided not to not to do that because it seems like the wrong time for it. There's a global pandemic going on. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed, but you know, so asking a bunch of people who are probably saving their pennies wisely um, to to pitch in for membership just felt real kind of icky so we're not doing that however we are still doing some things this month for members yes Mm -hmm. yes we are Mm -hmm. so um so if you happen to be a member keep an eye on the um first class feed Mm -hmm. and uh, you'll be seeing something special from from the two of us coming soon yes coming i'm not even gonna say what it is because i don't know if you wanted to do you we do yeah, let's tell them what it is. We haven't done it yet, but we will. Yeah, we're going to do it because the Blu-ray arrived uh, like two days ago. Mm-hmm. So we really enjoyed uh, Star Wars Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to do a commentary about it. The Incomparable has been doing like commentaries. Like they, they just put out one for Return of the Jedi, which finishes their commentaries of the original trilogy. I don't know if they've, they did one for Force Awakens too, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but I don't know if they've done one for Rise of Skywalker. So we're jumping in. We're jumping in and taking it because we both really liked it. Uh, but we will only talk about Doctor Who things during the commentary That's and Doctor Who actors that were in it. And then we'll just stay silent for the rest of it just <laughs> to stay on brand. You're ridiculous. That is not true at all. I'm sure the incomparable proper will, will also eventually get around to doing a commentary yeah. uh, for that movie. But we are, we are definitely swooping in um, because we saw it. We only saw it twice in the theater, which I'm... A- did we see it three times? Three times. We saw it once on opening night, uh-huh. and the 3D was botched. Oh, that's right. So we got a free pass. Mm-hmm. Do we ever use that free pass? No. Um, really? Yeah, we still have it. Okay. And then we went back literally the next night at 11 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. and I was tired for like the next three days, and then we saw it for a third time mm-hmm. in IMAX with 2D. That's right. Yeah. And that was the best, was IMAX and 2D. I think mm-hmm. IMAX, yeah. Out of all, back when, when we can go to theaters again- 2D, although there's no more Star Wars films being made, so I guess mm-hmm. we won't have to worry about that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, we both really liked it. So if you were yeah. one of the people who were not a fan and you want to hear people rip it to shreds, that's not going to be us. No, mm-hmm. but we will give it uh, a, a stern critical analysis uh, and also reference Doctor Who actors when they appear. Yeah, basically we'll talk about it the way that we talk about Doctor Who, yeah. <laughs> only we'll just be doing it in time with the uh, with the movie because we'll have it playing in front of us. Yeah, and that's how commentaries work. So so that'll be exciting. So that's coming sometime in April. I'm sure we'll be able to find the time at some point mm-hmm. during our lockdown. Yep. Okay, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> I got nothing more to say about that. Yes, we will. We will get to it, and we will have we will have fun, and we will put it out for uh, for the members. Yeah, so you can watch uh, the Star Wars movie with us and, and have some fun. So, uh, and I hope you're enjoying watching Doctor Who and having some fun as well as we uh, journey on through the colony in space on Lazy Doctor Who on the Incomparable Network. <laughs> Jeepers! Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.